Our discussion this morning, graduates, will not be theological in its nature. It will be rather practical. There is a time for theology and there's a time for practical application of Christian virtue. Scripture asks a rhetorical question in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. It goes something like this, a faithful man who can find. Now that word man, I believe, includes ladies. And so the question is, where can you find a person? Where can you find people? Where can you find a man or a lady who is genuinely faithful to that which they have been called to, and faithful to their roots and faithful to the place that they have been planted? The question is going to be one day posed to you, young people. There will all of us, you five graduates, as well as all of us, we will on the day of judgment be called into accountability before our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And He will want to us to each to give an accounting for our life, for our time, the energy, our resources, the talents, the gifts, the money, all that He's given, all that He's placed within our hands, and all the resources that we have, we're going to be called into accountability. Each of us, are always planted into a given location. We are planted into a given circumstance. There are a number of circumstances that are given to you that are not of your choice. Indeed, very little, in many respects, is your free will choice. This is the year 2023. Most of those who are present this morning were born in this nation. Many of those that were present in this congregation this morning were born in the Midwestern states. Some were in other parts. None of us asked when we would be born. None of us asked for the parents that we got. None of us asked to be brought forth into a certain location, into a certain circumstance. None of us asked if we would like to be brought forth into a nation that is in some stage of spiritual decline. None of us asked for any of these things. There are many other things that are unchangeable about the place we are in. None of us were asked whether we'd like to be short or tall, pretty, ugly, handsome, athletic, wise, smart, foolish, stupid, unintelligent, gifted, talented, musical, skilled at mathematics, skilled at repairs and practical matters. None of us asked for any of these things. We were all given a series of gifts. Some of us got many gifts. A few of us got few. <laughs> but all of us have some. We didn't ask whether we wanted a slow metabolism or a high metabolism. Whether we had blue eyes, brown eyes, beautiful hair, or no hair at all. Well, I guess we all have a little hair. <laughs> All of these things were unchangeable. All of us have been planted at a certain spot, time, location, and circumstance. Many of you were born into this congregation. You did not ask to be. Many of you were put into an extended family. You have relatives of whom you are not proud and you don't care for. You have others that maybe you do like and admire. So I don't know what you think of your parents, your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, your cousin, 
the guy who sits across from you at the church, the person who lives down the road, but all of you and you graduates were planted here. You really didn't ask to be here. But God placed you here. In God's providence, this is the place He put you. In God's providence, you were planted. There's a lot of wisdom in someone who once said something to this effect. Grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. Put down roots. American history is filled with frontier experience and people who spend a lot of time on the move. And we can be proud of our ancestors who took a continent that was savage and turned it into a great civilization. But all that movement does have a downside. It tends to breed a sense of rootlessness. Being rooted in a place, in a time, in a position, in a worldview, in a thought process, being rooted in Scripture, being rooted in what you believe, being stubborn and saying, I'm going to remain, I will not leave, I will not depart from where I was placed, is an exceptionally admirable attitude, in my opinion. Some of the best Americans ever to live were those who said, I will not move. Some of you have read about the Dust Bowl. There are some very stubborn people who endured enormous trauma because they said, this is the ground where I was planted. Rain or not, I'm not leaving. And they stubbornly clung to that dusty piece of earth. And now their children and their grandchildren remain and have a treasure. They're a good example. And there are many good examples. We have an, a, a, an array of examples from history and from Scripture that can encourage us. So the question that one day will be asked, will you be faithful to where you were planted? Will you be faithful to your friends, your family, to your church, to your belief, to your, the foundations that have been laid? You do not live in a vacuum. You are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before you. You see more, perhaps, but it's only because of them, not because of yourself. There's a poem written by Longfellow called My Lost Youth. In it, he recounts a visit he made when he was elderly to his hometown on the seashore of New England. And he relates how he went to all of those places that he haunted when he was a boy. He went to the shore where there were pebbles and rocks, and he remembers throwing them into the ocean. He went to the woods where he climbed trees, into the creek where he splashed around, and he thought all of these thoughts. He called them long, long thoughts. Long, long thoughts. The day will come for all of us when we will also look back at our youth and we'll be thinking long, long thoughts. And I know it's hard for you to believe that you will one day be old. But barring an early death, you will. And you will one day have long, long thoughts about your youth, which is here. 
I'm going to briefly share with you some dangers that I believe will compromise your faith. I'm going to ask that you pay attention as I read some verses, not a lot, and I make a few points about the things that can compromise your faith, that can take you away from your roots and leave you wandering, moving, not just geographically, but intellectually, spiritually, rambling around the spiritual landscape, rambling around this landscape, not knowing where you'll be in 10 years, 15 years, 40 years, and when you get to the end, you've lost your roots and you've lost your way. So I have seven dangers that will compromise your faith in this respect. Now, all of them are rather, rather simple to understand, and all of them are rather basic aspects of human relationships. And they're not deep theological points, but I think that they're useful, and I hope that they will be useful to you this morning. And I pray that you'll be able to make application, because they're not always easy to apply. I'd like to start with this one. We'll start in the book of Proverbs, which is always a wonderful place. One of the things you're going to have to develop in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27, it tells us that we should prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterward build thine house. Now, there's a lot there that we could unpack, but essentially it boils down to this. You're going to need to be a self-starter. You're going to have to be a self-starter. You can no longer rely upon your teacher holding you accountable, upon your parents holding you accountable, upon someone else to hold you accountable. You're going to have to get up and get going and get moving and do it yourself to drive yourself. You've got to be a self-starting person. You're not going to be happy until you earn respect, unless you become a productive member of the community in which you live. That community, for now, is this one. It'll be up to you to decide if you wish to remain where you're rooted or pull yourself up and decide to transplant somewhere else. <coughs> Respect does not come with age. Many a young person has a sense that because they've turned 18 or because they've turned 21, they're now an adult and they're now a man or a lady that deserves the respect of everyone else. And they resent the fact that people don't hold them in high regard. But respect never comes as a gift. Respect only comes because you've earned it. And you can begin earning that much younger than adulthood. Respect comes with responsibility. Shouldering responsibility, fulfilling responsibility, and doing so capably, competently, and fully, that will gain you respect at any age. Respect has to continue to be earned. Respect can be easily lost. And once lost, it's difficult to regain. You'll discover that people, unfortunately have very long, long memories. And sadly, <laughs> they will remember an error you made many years ago if it works to their particular advantage. I can't help that, and you can't help that. 
I'm just telling you the way it is. Respect has to be earned. You have to work constantly to maintain it. And you must be a self-starting person that gets up and shoulders the responsibilities each day the very best of your ability. Now, number two, which goes along with this, comes from some advice given by St. Paul. In 1 Corinthians 13, he exhorts the congregation, reading his letter, to put away childishness. And he says in verse 11, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's time for you to put away the childish things, I'm afraid. It doesn't mean you cannot have a laugh. It doesn't mean you can't do fun things. It doesn't mean that enjoyment and pleasure will never be a part of your life again. But the childish things need to be put away. And so the love of amusement needs to become something more or less a thing of the past. A love of amusement. It's time to put away the childish things. Many do not do that. There's many a gray head that have never put away childish things, and then they wonder why the respect is not there. So be ready to put away the childish things. And there are many aspects of this, many aspects of maturity, but the love of amusements is something you're going to have to be putting behind you. The third thing I'd like to comment on and exhort you is also found in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, in verse 10. Paul writes, he says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now a murmurer, essentially, is a complainer. That would be a word that we would use today, rather than the King James English of murmurer. So it's easy to be a complainer, and there are plenty of times when all of us slip into a frame of mind in which we complain. It's not a good place to be, and it doesn't help you, and it doesn't help most anyone. One of the things that God has said here about the murmurers, the complainers, is that they'll be destroyed of the destroyer. I'm not 100% sure what that means, but it doesn't sound good. So being a complainer is not a good place to be. And if you find yourself slipping into that, you need to do your very best to drag yourself out of it. been said, don't sweat the small stuff. And some people say it's all small stuff. Well, that's easy to say. Maybe it's a good slogan. Maybe that'll be the one that'll kind of get you through. But one of the things you've got to learn to do rapidly is to overlook offenses in life, especially the very small ones of which are numerous. There are numerous offenses. Every passing week, someone will offend you, perhaps even every day. Large offenses will come. Those also need to be dealt with sensibly and wisely. Even the big offenses. I mean, we're called to love one another. 
I happened to run across a, a quote by a gentleman named Doug Wilson. Some of you are perhaps familiar with him. He was actually quoting his father, and it goes something like this. Jesus told us to love our spouses. He told us to love our neighbors. And then he told us to love our enemies. That doesn't leave out anybody, basically. If you're loving your neighbor, and you're loving the person you're married to, even though you're not married, we presume you will be, and you love your enemies, that's pretty much everybody. I don't know who would be in that category of either an enemy, a neighbor, or of course the person you're married to. So being able to exhibit some genuine love toward all of these people is what takes you away from being a murmurer, a complainer, one who can overlook an offense because you see that person with love. And you just let the offense go. It just goes. You just don't hang on to it. You don't forget it. You don't repeat it. You don't reflect on it. You let it go. This will be one of the hardest challenges in your life for, for many people. Another area worth consideration is recognizing that both failure and success can take you away and can ruin you. You say, how can that be? How can failure and success ruin you? Well, there's some words of wisdom in Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs 30 in verse 8 and 9, reads like this. Remove from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Think on that. He's saying, deliver me from poverty and deliver me from riches. Give me neither one. Goes on to say, feed me with food convenient for me or food appropriate for me. Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. You see, there's danger in riches and in poverty. No one desires poverty except for the very, very few people who perhaps have taken on a monastic life or something of that nature. The challenge of poverty is bitterness. We, can't, we do not want to lapse and fall into bitterness. But on the other hand, and equally dangerous, is the vanity that comes with wealth and riches. When we become full and say, who is the Lord? I earned all of this. I deserve all of this. It's by my hard work and ingenuity that all of this has accrued to me. Look at what I have done. And that pride takes you away as well. There's a peril in both failure and there's a peril in success. Chances are your life will have some of both. So, just be ready. 
If you fail, you try again. If you succeed, remain humble. Give the praise and glory to God and to others who contributed to your success as well. Rudyard Kipling wrote a very famous poem. It's called If. In the poem If, he speaks of triumph and disaster. And he says they're both imposters. Triumph is an imposter and disaster is an imposter. In a sense, they're both telling the same lie. They're both saying that you're going to permanently be in that condition, which is unlikely. (laughs) Catastrophes and disasters pass in most cases. Triumphs pass with certainty. Both will take you away from your home, your faith, and your roots. Another area I'd like to encourage you on is an unwillingness to think about the hard things of life. You know, Hebrews chapter 5 has these words to say about our duty and our the wisdom of thinking about the tough things that come our way and having a, a mind that can handle that. Starting in verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says, For when you the time in which you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again that which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And you are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. That is, you can't... You're not ready, you're not prepared, you're not capable of handling the more difficult questions of life, some of which are hard and don't have quite the good answers that you think they ought. When you're young, you're idealistic. You believe that every hard question has a simple and clear and good answer. I just must find it. As you get older, you realize that some hard questions, the answers aren't quite as clear as what you would like. But you have to decide anyway. You don't have all the information you would like, but a decision must be made. That's what it means to be a person who's mature and seasoned and capable of making the decision when you don't have all the information that you would like to have. But you must go forward anyway. Paul goes on to say, Strong meat belongs to them that are of a full age, even those who by reason have use of their senses discern to exercise both good and evil. In other words, he's saying, you've you've grown to a state of maturity where you can discern good and evil based on the Word of God. Your intuition is mature. You have a sense of these things because of the time you've spent in the Word of God. Without the Word of God, you will not develop the right intuition. Many decisions in life can be made with reason and logic, but not all of them. Some of them, you just don't have time to collect the facts, and you must make a choice. 
And so you rely on your gut, on your instinct, on your intuition. And that intuition is built out of the Word of God. And that will make you mature and capable of making that choice wisely. Absent the Word of God, your intuition, your gut instinct, will probably be wrong. Because you have another instinct tugging at you that goes the other direction. It's called fallen human nature. That one is always going to point the wrong direction. And the only way you can counterbalance and overcome that is by being seasoned and honed in the Word of God. So when the hard decisions come, your instincts take you back to some scriptural principle. And you're not exactly sure why, but you just know that this is the right thing. And if it's rooted in the Word of God, you'll be fine. Without that, you will drift. And in time, you'll drift and drift and drift until the culture is what it is. Up is down and down is up. So the hard truths are going to be something we've got to reflect on. You know, did you know that, there, did you know that if you are a, a sound, mature Christian person, that you'll be hated? You probably don't want people to hate you. But Jesus said, if they have hated me, they will hate you. It doesn't mean most people will hate you. Probably most of the people closest to you probably won't. But there will be some that will. If they've hated me, they will hate you. The next item on my list comes from Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. In that passage, we have some real good advice and a bit of a warning. So Jesus says it this way, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So you've got to deny yourself. So here we go with a disciplined life again. One of the things you're going to have to develop is an ability. You must develop an ability to say no. Now there are those you probably shouldn't say no to. You shouldn't say no to your parents. Certainly shouldn't say no to God. Shouldn't say no to the Word of God. There are those who you should not say no to. But there are a lot of people you're going to have to learn to say no to. First off, and most difficult perhaps, is you're going to have to learn to say no to yourself. You have to be able to say, I will not do this. And it might be something small, like I will not take a fourth donut, three is enough. (laughs) Or it might be something greater. You have to tell yourself, no, I will not stay in bed even though I'm running a low-grade fever because my family needs me to work. And you will have to drag yourself out of bed and be on to your duties even though you don't feel like going. And that sort of no to yourself, if you're a mature and seasoned person, will happen a lot. You have to be able to say no to your friends and your peers 
certainly your peers. Presumably, you won't have too many friends that will lead you in the wrong way. But there will be others of your, own, your generation who will encourage you to make the wrong choice. And you have to say no. And they might be offended. They might be hurt. They might be angry. They might lash out at you. They may choose to hate you. But there are times you have to say no. You can say no diplomatically. There are some ways that are a little better than others. You can say no without insults. But nonetheless, the answer still must be in the negative. There will be certain leaders who ask for your support, perhaps, and you'll have to say no. When you become parents, you'll need to learn that word very well. If you don't, you're going to have a difficult time as a parent. You're going to have to say no to your children. Your children will need a firm grip, not your indulgence. Being a parent and being a friend are not the same. You'll become, you can become friends with your children and they become adults. In the meantime, be a parent, which means your children may not like you at times. Say no anyway. Say no. So that's another part of being an adult. And finally, the last area is taking time to be alone and to be silent. All of us enter this world, I suppose with a few exceptions of twins, but we all enter this world alone and naked. And you'll depart the same way. You're probably not going to depart in a fiery plane crash. You probably will not depart at the same time that your beloved wife or husband departs. You will probably die alone. You alone facing death. And knowing also that everything about you will be left behind and you have to face eternity alone. Being alone is not bad. It's good in life to practice once in a while being alone. I would encourage you to take time to be alone and silent. It's more difficult in our time to be alone and silent than it might have been for our forefathers who maybe had to labor in the field, swinging their sickle all alone hour after hour with plenty of time to think as they worked their way through that monotonous task. We don't have it that way. In fact, many people hate being alone and silent. So when they are by themselves, they've got their podcast going, or their music going, or something going, so they don't have to be alone. I would encourage you to practice being alone and silent. And listen. There's a lot you might hear. There's the natural world, which you might not notice very often, the birds and the bugs and the bees and the things that buzz and hum in the forest. That's nice. But much more important is being silent and alone so that you can hear your own thoughts. You can channel your thoughts a little bit and try to focus them rather than letting them ramble around. 
You can challenge your own thoughts. Then you can let the Holy Spirit, you can do your best to listen for what the Holy Spirit might be prompting you in. And you can reflect and meditate on scriptural principles. You can think on verses that you have memorized, and I know you've memorized many. Dredge them up out of your memory when you're alone and silent. Think on what they might mean and how they might apply to your life. There's immense value in contemplation. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm chapter 4. Verse 4, he said, Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Talking to yourself isn't always bad. <laughs> Shakespeare once said, I believe it was in Henry V, the king said, I and myself have to commune with each other for a while. <laughs> there's times for that. And it's hard to find that in our society because there's so much coming at us all of the time. So these are some, some of the tips that I've got for you. These are some of the things that I think will help you to be faithful to your, your fathers, your mothers, your church community, those that have given you the start in life you've been given. And I think the five of you have been given a good start. Will you be faithful? When you reach an age of ancientness, Will you look back with your long, long thoughts, reflect in your life, and be able to say to yourself, I believe I was faithful to God. I believe I was truly faithful to God. I hope you can do that. So I hope at the day of accountability, you'll receive wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Thank you for your patience. Thank you very much. Thank you. So God's goodness.